0: book two chapter fourteen of michael strogoff courier of the czar this librivox recording is in the public domain michael strogoff by jules verne book two chapter fourteen the night of the fifth of october ivan ogareff's plan had been contrived with the greatest care and except for some unforeseen accident he believed that it must succeed it was of importance that the bolchaya gate should be unguarded or only feebly held when he gave it up the attention of the besieged was therefore to be drawn to another part of the town a diversion was agreed upon with the emir this diversion was to be effected both up and down the river on the irkutsk bank the attack on these two points was to be conducted in earnest, and at the same time a feigned attempt at crossing the angara from the left bank was to be made. The Bolchaya gate would probably be deserted, so much the more because on this side the Tartar outposts having drawn back would appear to have broken up. It was the 5th of October, In four-and-twenty hours, the capital of eastern Siberia would be in the hands of the emir, and the grand duke in the power of Ivan Ogareff. During the day, an unusual stir was going on in the Angara camp. From the windows of the palace, important preparations on the opposite shore could be distinctly seen. Numerous tartar detachments were converging towards the camp, and from hour to hour reinforced the emir's troops these movements intended to deceive the besieged were conducted in the most open manner possible before their eyes ogareff had warned the grand duke that an attack was to be feared he knew he said that an assault was to be made both above and below the town and he counselled the duke to reinforce the two directly threatened points Accordingly, after a council of war had been held in the palace, orders were issued to concentrate the defense on the bank of the Angara and at the two ends of the town, where the earthworks protected the river. This was exactly what Ogareff wished. He did not expect that the Bolchaya Gate would be left entirely without defenders, but that there would only be a small number— besides ogareff meant to give such importance to the diversion that the grand duke would be obliged to oppose it with all his available forces the traitor planned also to produce so frightful a catastrophe that terror must inevitably overwhelm the hearts of the besieged all day the garrison and population of irkutsk were on the alert the measures to repel an attack on the points hitherto unassailed had been taken the Grand Duke and General Voranzoff visited the posts, strengthened by their orders. Vasily Fedor's corps occupied the north of the town, but with orders to throw themselves where the danger was greatest. The right bank of the Angara had been protected with the few guns possessed by the defenders. With these measures taken in time, thanks to the advice so opportunely given by Ivan Ogareff, there was good reason to hope that the expected attack would be repulsed in that case the tartars momentarily discouraged would no doubt not make another attempt against the town for several days now the troops expected by the grand duke might arrive at any hour the safety or the loss of irkutsk hung only by a thread on this day the sun which had risen at twenty minutes to six set at forty minutes past five having traced its diurnal arc for eleven hours above the horizon the twilight would struggle with the night for another two hours then it would be intensely dark for the sky was cloudy and there would be no moon this gloom would favor the plans of ivan Ogarev. for a few days already a sharp frost had given warning of the approaching rigor of the siberian winter and this evening it was especially severe the russians posted by the bank of the angara obliged to conceal their position lighted no fires they suffered cruelly from the low temperature a few feet below them the ice in large masses drifted down the current all day these masses had been seen passing rapidly between the two banks this had been considered by the grand duke and his officers as fortunate should the channel of the angara continue to be thus obstructed the passage must be impracticable the tartars could use neither rafts nor boats As to their crossing the river on the ice, that was not possible. The newly frozen plain could not bear the weight of an assaulting column. This circumstance, as it appeared favorable to the defenders of Irkutsk, Ogareff might have regretted. He did not do so, however. The traitor knew well that the Tartars would not try to pass the Angara, and that, on its side at least, their attempt was only a feint about ten in the evening the state of the river sensibly improved to the great surprise of the besieged and still more to their disadvantage the passage till then impracticable became all at once possible the bed of the angara was clear the blocks of ice which had for some days drifted past in large numbers disappeared down the current and five or six only now occupied the space between the banks The Russian officers reported this change in the river to the Grand Duke. They suggested that it was probably caused by the circumstance that in some narrower part of the Angara, the blocks had accumulated so as to form a barrier. We know this was the case. The passage of the Angara was thus open to the besiegers. There was great reason for the Russians to be on their guard. Up to midnight nothing had occurred. On the eastern side, beyond the Bolchaya gate, all was quiet. Not a glimmer was seen in the dense forest, which appeared confounded on the horizon with the masses of clouds hanging low down in the sky. Lights, flitting to and fro in the Angara camp, showed that a considerable movement was taking place. From a verst above and below the point where the scarp met the river's bank came a dull murmur, proving that the Tartars were on foot, expecting some signal. An hour passed. Nothing new. The bell of the Irkutsk Cathedral was about to strike two o'clock in the morning, and not a movement amongst the besiegers had yet shown that they were about to commence the assault. The Grand Duke and his officers began to suspect that they had been mistaken. Had it really been the Tartars' plan to surprise the town? The preceding nights had not been nearly so quiet, musketry rattling from the outposts, shells whistling through the air, and this time nothing the officers waited ready to give their orders according to circumstances we have said that ogareff occupied a room in the palace it was a large chamber on the ground floor its windows opening on a side terrace by taking a few steps along this terrace a view of the river could be obtained profound darkness reigned in the room ogareff stood by a window awaiting the hour to act the signal of course would come from him alone This signal once given, when the greater part of the defenders of Irkutsk would be summoned to the points openly attacked, his plan was to leave the palace and hurry to the Bolchaya gate. If it was unguarded, he would open it, or at least he would direct the overwhelming mass of its assailants against the few defenders. He now crouched in the shadow like a wild beast ready to spring on its prey. A few minutes before two o'clock, the Grand Duke desired that Michael Strogoff, which was the only name they could give to Ivan Ogareff, should be brought to him. An aide-de-camp came to the room, the door of which was closed. He called. Ogareff, motionless near the window, and invisible in the shade, did not answer. The Grand Duke was therefore informed that the Tsar's courier was not at that moment in the palace. Two o'clock struck. Now was the time to cause the diversion agreed upon with the Tartars waiting for the assault, ivan ogareff opened the window and stationed himself at the north angle of the side terrace below him flowed the roaring waters of the angara ogareff took a match from his pocket struck it and lighted a small bunch of tow impregnated with priming powder which he threw into the river it was by the orders of ivan ogareff that the torrents of mineral oil had been thrown on the surface of the angara there are numerous naphtha springs above irkutsk on the right bank between the suburb of poshkovsk and the town ogareff had resolved to employ this terrible means to carry fire into irkutsk he therefore took possession of the immense reservoirs which contained the combustible liquid it was only necessary to demolish a piece of wall in order to allow it to flow out in a vast stream this had been done that night a few hours previously and this was the reason that the raft which carried the true courier of the czar nadia and the fugitives floated on a current of mineral oil through the breaches in these reservoirs of enormous dimensions rushed the naphtha in torrents and following the inclination of the ground it spread over the surface of the river where its density allowed it to float this was the way ivan ogareff carried on warfare allied with tartars he acted like a tartar and against his own countrymen the tow had been thrown on the waters of the angara in an instant with electrical rapidity as if the current had been of alcohol the whole river was in a blaze above and below the town columns of blue flames ran between the two banks volumes of vapor curled up above the few pieces of ice which still drifted were seized by the burning liquid and melted like wax on the top of a furnace the evaporated water escaping in shrill hisses at the same moment firing broke out on the north and south of the town the enemy's batteries discharged their guns at random several thousand tartars rushed to the assault of the earthworks the houses on the bank built of wood took fire in every direction a bright light dissipated the darkness of the night at last said ivan ogareff he had good reason for congratulating himself the diversion which he had planned was terrible The defenders of Irkutsk found themselves between the attack of the Tartars and the fearful effects of fire. The bells rang, and all the able-bodied of the population ran, some towards the points attacked, and others towards the houses in the grasp of the flames, which it seemed too probable would ere long envelop the whole town. The gate of Bolchaya was nearly free. Only a very small guard had been left there and by the traitor's suggestion and in order that the event might be explained apart from him as if by political hate this small guard had been chosen from the little band of exiles ogareff re-entered his room now brilliantly lighted by the flames from the angara then he made ready to go but scarcely had he opened the door when a woman rushed into the room her clothes drenched her hair in disorder "'Sangar!' exclaimed Ogareff, in the first moment of surprise, and not supposing that it could be any other woman than the gypsy. "'It was not Sangar. It was Nadia.' At the moment when, floating on the ice, the girl had uttered a cry on seeing the fire spreading along the current, Michael had seized her in his arms and plunged with her into the river itself to seek a refuge in its depths from the flames. The block which bore them was not thirty fathoms from the first quay of Irkutsk. Swimming beneath the water, Michael managed to get a footing with Nadia on the quay. Michael Strogoff had reached his journey's end. He was in Irkutsk. To the governor's palace, said he to Nadia. In less than ten minutes they arrived at the entrance to the palace. Long tongues of flame from the angara licked its walls, but were powerless to set it on fire. Beyond, the houses on the bank were in a blaze. The palace being open to all, Michael and Nadia entered without difficulty. In the confusion no one remarked them, although their garments were dripping. A crowd of officers coming for orders, and of soldiers running to execute them, filled the great hall on the ground floor. There, in a sudden eddy of the confused multitude, Michael and the young girl were separated from each other. Nadia ran distracted through the passages, calling her companion and asking to be taken to the Grand Duke. A door into a room flooded with light opened before her. She entered, and found herself suddenly face to face with the man whom she had met at Ichim, whom she had seen at Tomsk, face to face with the one whose villainous hand would an instant later betray the town. ''Ivan Ogareff!'' she cried on hearing his name pronounced the wretch started his real name known all his plans would be balked there was but one thing to be done to kill the person who had just uttered it ogareff darted at nadia but the girl a knife in her hand retreated against the wall determined to defend herself ivan ogareff again cried nadia knowing well that so detested a name would soon bring her help Ah! be silent hissed out the traitor between his clenched teeth "'Ivan Ogareff!' exclaimed a third time the brave young girl, in a voice to which hate had added tenfold strength. Mad with fury, Ogareff, drawing a dagger from his belt, again rushed at Nadia and compelled her to retreat into a corner of the room. Her last hope appeared gone, when the villain, suddenly lifted by an irresistible force, was dashed to the ground. "'Michael!' cried Nadia. It was Michael Strogoff michael had heard nadia's call guided by her voice he had just in time reached ivan ogareff's room and entered by the open door fear nothing nadia said he placing himself between her and ogareff ah cried the girl take care brother the traitor is armed he can see ogareff rose and thinking that he had an immeasurable advantage over the blind man leaped upon him but with one hand the blind man grasped the arm of his enemy seized his weapon and hurled him again to the ground pale with rage and shame ogareff remembered that he wore a sword he drew it and returned a second time to the charge a blind man ogareff had only to deal with a blind man he was more than a match for him nadia terrified at the danger which threatened her companion ran to the door calling for help close the door nadia said michael call no one and leave me alone the czar's courier has nothing to fear today from this villain let him come on if he dares i am ready for him in the meantime ogareff gathering himself together like a tiger about to spring uttered not a word the noise of his footsteps his very breathing he endeavored to conceal from the ear of the blind man his object was to strike before his opponent was aware of his approach to strike him with a deadly blow nadia terrified and at the same time confident watched this terrible scene with involuntary admiration michael's calm bearing seemed to have inspired her michael's sole weapon was his siberian knife he did not see his adversary armed with a sword it is true but heaven's support seemed to be afforded him how almost without stirring did he always face the point of the sword ivan ogareff watched his strange adversary with visible anxiety his superhuman calm had an effect upon him in vain appealing to his reason did he tell himself that in so unequal a combat all the advantages were on his side THE IMMOBILITY OF THE BLIND MAN FROZE HIM. HE HAD SETTLED ON THE PLACE WHERE HE WOULD STRIKE HIS VICTIM. HE HAD FIXED UPON IT. WHAT THEN HINDERED HIM FROM PUTTING AN END TO HIS BLIND ANTAGONIST? AT LAST, WITH A SPRING, HE DROVE HIS SWORD FULL AT MICHAEL'S BREAST. AN IMPERCEPTIBLE MOVEMENT OF THE BLIND MAN'S KNIFE TURNED ASIDE THE BLOW. MICHAEL HAD NOT BEEN TOUCHED, AND COOLLY HE AWAITED A SECOND ATTACK cold drops stood on ogareff's brow he drew back a step then again leaped forward but as had the first this second attempt failed the knife had simply parried the blow from the traitor's useless sword mad with rage and terror before this living statue he gazed into the wide open eyes of the blind man those eyes which seemed to pierce to the bottom of his soul and yet which did not could not see exercised a sort of dreadful fascination over him all at once ogareff uttered a cry a sudden light flashed across his brain he sees he exclaimed he sees and like a wild beast trying to retreat into its den step by step terrified he drew back to the end of the room then the statue became animated the blind man walked straight up to ivan ogareff and placing himself right before him yes i see said he i see the mark of the knout which i gave you traitor and coward i see the place where i am about to strike you defend your life it is a duel i deign to offer you my knife against your sword he sees said nadia gracious heaven is it possible Ogareff felt that he was lost, but mustering all his courage he sprang forward on his impassable adversary. The two blades crossed, but at a touch from Michael's knife, wielded in the hand of the Siberian hunter, the sword flew in splinters, and the wretch, stabbed to the heart, fell lifeless on the ground. At the same moment the door was thrown open. The Grand Duke, accompanied by some of his officers, appeared on the threshold. The Grand Duke advanced in the body lying on the ground he recognized the man whom he believed to be the czar's courier then in a threatening voice who killed that man he asked i replied michael one of the officers put a pistol to his temple ready to fire your name asked the grand duke before giving the order for his brains to be blown out your highness answered michael ask me rather the name of the man who lies at your feet That man I know him. He is a servant of my brother. He is the Tsar's courier. That man, your Highness, is not a courier of the Tsar. He is Ivan Ogareff. Ivan Ogareff exclaimed the Grand Duke. Yes, Ivan the Traitor. But who are you then? Michael Strogoff two Chapter fourteen